May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. These are the words, of course, that we just sang. And normally we don't sing this on Sunday mornings because the Feast of Epiphany usually falls on a different day of the week. The feast is always on the fixed date of January the 6th. So it moves around in the week as the calendar moves, unlike Easter, which is always fixed to a Sunday. And the way that our lectionary is laid out, the actual season of Epiphany moves quickly past the wise men. Next week, we'll be reading about Jesus at 12 years old in the temple. And then we'll move to his baptism, and then we'll move to his first miracle. So most years, we don't sing this song on Sunday morning because it doesn't make sense to sing of the wise men or Jesus as an infant or as a young toddler when we're hearing lessons about Jesus being 12 or being 30 plus years old. But this year, the Feast of Epiphany falls on Sunday morning. And so this morning, we took opportunity to sing this well-known song about those who have become known as the Three Kings or the Three Wise Men. And the truth is that Matthew never calls them kings, nor does he say that there were only three of them. Likewise, the use of the word orient in there implies, at least in many's understanding of in 2019, that they were from Asian areas like China or Japan or something, even though it really just expresses Matthew's statement that they were simply from the east or literally from the direction of the rising of the sun. So how did they become kings in song? And how did they become kings in the tradition of the church such that a bishop in the Episcopal Church would write a song, We Three Kings? Well, there are two primary scriptural sources attributed to this. And one is in Isaiah 60 and the other is in Psalm 72. Many have heard the opening words of Isaiah chapter 60, which reads, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And coupled with this verse are also these words. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And then in Psalm 72, we read these words. The kings of Tarshish and of the isle shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. To him shall be given of the gold of Arabia. Prayer also shall be made for him continually. And daily shall he be praised. Now, this was a psalm of David concerning his immediate son, Solomon, and his kingship. But the prophetic nature of this entire psalm is inescapable as this speaks of the eternal kingship of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the way that Matthew describes the events of the wise men reflect the nature of Isaiah's prophecy and David's song. These men come in and they bow down before the child and they worship him 
as in verse 11. And then they bring unto him gifts of gold and incense, as the passages say. And actually, in Christian tradition, it is said that these three men have names. They're known as Gaspar, or sometimes Casper, Melchior, or, and Balthazar. And I can't really tell you where the names themselves came from. And I didn't spend time looking that part up, but it is interesting how they're depicted, especially in light of Psalm 72. You'll certainly see varying depictions of them in art, and they don't all agree with one another. But often you can see Gaspar clad in a green cloak with a gold crown and emeralds or other green gems in it. And he brings frankincense, the offering of sacrificial incense. And he's the king of Sheba. You'll see Melchior, who has long white hair and a gold cloak. And he's the king of Arabia, who brings the gold of Arabia. (laughs) And lastly, you'll see Balthazar who is represented with black skin, with a a thick black beard, and wearing a purple cloak. And he's the king of Tars in Egypt, and he brings the myrrh. But regardless of whether they were magi, or whether they were astrologers, or whether they were actual kings, and regardless of whether there were three based on the gifts that are mentioned, or whether there were twelve, as in Eastern tradition, And regardless of which brought which gift and what they were, the point that Matthew makes in his gospel in presenting the wise men and the point that church tradition makes in its observance is that this Jesus, even at his birth, is to be embraced as the long-awaited promised king. And that's actually Matthew's whole point of his gospel account. Jesus is the king. And it's that simple point that we'll remember today. Christmas has just passed. And so we're left with the images of an infant. We're left with the the backdrop of a manger and of shepherds and of Mary and Joseph wrapping the babe in swaddling clothes. I mean, these things are still in front of us today until we put the decorations away. But the Epiphany Feast quickly reminds us of the kingship of Christ. The star in the east, the magi from the east, they're the celebration of the fulfillment of the coming of the king of kings. Now, as I prepared for this this morning, I came across another sermon from a Lutheran church in Vienna, Virginia, St. Athanasius Lutheran Church, preached about a decade or so ago, according to their website. And in that sermon, the pastor drew attention to something that stood out to me, something that I personally was privileged to experience in person last year when I went to Jerusalem. In the Holy Land, as you might expect, there are a bunch of churches that were established on important locations involving the life of Jesus. And you may remember a couple of months ago that I preached on the widow of Nain, whose son had died, and when Jesus comes into the town, he touches the beer and he raises him from the dead. Well, there was a church that was built on that location for many years. Right outside the temple walls, across a small valley known as the Valley of Kidron, there is the Church of All Nations, which sits amidst the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the middle of old Jerusalem sits the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where you can enter the areas where Christ was crucified and his body prepared for burial and his burial place, of course. And then a slight drive away is the town of Bethlehem. 
And on the outskirts of that town, there is this holy place where the angels announce the birth to the shepherds. And if you followed me on Facebook when I was there, you may remember a live video that I did from there when that section of scripture was read and some people sang some Christmas carols inside that holy place. And then more towards the main town of Bethlehem, there sits the church of the Holy Nativity. And on one side, you have the Orthodox or Eastern side with an altar placed directly above a cave beneath where that supposed spot of Jesus' birth sits along with the areas of the manger and the areas of the wise men. And on the other side of the church, it's quite dramatic when you're there and you see this, is the Roman Catholic or the Western side, looking very traditional like we might expect a church to look in our tradition. And below the floor of the church, as you descend from the modern world, so to speak, to the ancient world, you discover the area in which it is said that the angel told Joseph to flee to Egypt when Herod sought their life after the visitation of the wise men. In any event, what is pretty unique about this particular church is the door. Everyone that enters the church of the nativity must enter by a single door. But it's not a doorway as you might expect it to be. It's called the door of humility. And you can Google it later if you want to see it. Originally, it was a a normal-sized doorway or entryway through a wall. But after invasions, the door was continually reduced in size. And as you look at it, you can see the different modifications that were made to it over the years. So as it is now, it's a pretty small rectangular door. And anyone trying to come into the church must enter one by one while bending down very low. One commentator noted of that door... Quote, there is something beautiful in the symbolism that the church where the cave is, that it has a door so low that all must stoop to enter. It is supremely fitting, he continues, that every man should approach the infant Jesus upon his knees. End quote. And that last part of the quote is that image that we discover in our celebration of the wise men of Epiphany. They were men of renown. They were men of means. They were men with costly gifts. Kings? Possibly. But it doesn't matter. Because whatever their position, they approach the infant Jesus in humility. They bow down and they worship him. Why? Because in that infant, that young child, they recognize the true king and savior of all the world. That's our epiphany picture. That's our epiphany joy. That's our epiphany reminder. Christ has come. And Christ is king of all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.